When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No one. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome to the latest Gators Online show. Zach Albaverde, Nick Del Torre coming to you from Gainesville, Florida, as we get ready to preview the Florida baseball season, kicking off this weekend against Charleston Southern. We'll be joined by Jeff Cardozo on the show today to talk about this Gators baseball team, which you can expect from the 2023 squad. We got, of course, Football to get into and uh, the latest news in Gators hoops. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, some injury news last night that Nick had to break uh, as I was driving home from the game. Nick, you started your day writing about Derek Fabian, broken but not beaten. And then you write about Colin Castleton breaking something. Yeah, a lot of breaks. Um, tough break for the basketball team. Damn. Um I mean, the way that game was going, it was um, when Colin goes out, you think, well, this is the run. Like, Ole Miss is going to make this run. And, um, and and I think Florida had to win that game or else fans would have just checked out. Like, <laughs> the five five games left, don't care. Out of here. Um, it, it's going to be tough. Obviously, you got Jason Jatobo, um, but you, you're, you're losing an all-SEC first-team caliber player in Colin Castleton. Um, and really a, a heartbreaking way yeah. uh, for him to end his career. Now, I don't know if he won't be able to come back, you know, maybe for uh, the tournament in Florida gets in or the NIT. But um, at this point, you know, being a super senior uh, with a broken hand this late in the year, you would assume uh, that this probably ends ends his season and, and his college career. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate. Obviously, he dealt with the injury last year and came back in part because he wanted to prove what he could do fully healthy. And even though, as Nick mentioned, it is the tail end of the year, I think he's shown uh, what he's capable of. We'll get a lot more into that in, in the final segment and talk about where the Gators go from here and uh, life without Colin Castleton, which is something that uh, the Gators were going to have to uh, – a reality that they were going to have to face next season. It looks like it's starting now. But uh, mm. what's going on right now for the Florida football team is the identity phase, which we highlighted on last week's show. And after last week's episode, we got an intel piece on Gators Online. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure that you go and uh, read up on this team and some of the nuggets and uh, buzz that's been coming from the building as uh, the Gators have been going through off-season workouts now zach zach you're over there like salt bay just sprinkling just sprinkling some nuggets well and i you know i can't give it all away right uh, this <laughs> yeah is a, this is a 1300 word story uh but you know this have to mention obviously some of the nuggets uh that we kind of uncovered just trying to ask some of the buzz on workouts and guys standing out and how the team is kind of taken to these workouts now we had an opportunity to be joined a few weeks ago by Austin Barber to get his take on you know where the players were at, whether the workouts were easier, more challenging, and, and that's certainly kind of a, I, I think a theme that we've heard uh, from 
coaches and, and certainly people uh, within the program about just how far along and just in a much better place this team is in terms of having to go through these workouts, knowing what to do, knowing what the expectation is, having a routine that's kind of set in stone, and also, of course, being in the Heavener Center and, as we heard Austin say, the luxury of, of just in the efficiency of that. But, look, what this time is for as much as anything else is is leadership to emerge and, and guys to kind of stand out and your alpha dogs to kind of be identified in these offseason workouts. And it's not just – you know, pushing weights in the in the weight room, these guys get out in the indoor practice facility and they have competitions. And, and there's a lot that the, that Mark Hockey and his staff put these players through. And there is just calling it like it is a void, a huge void of veterans and leaders and seniors and starters that left from this past year's team. We've we've highlighted the 31 roster departures. Well, 13 of those guys were starters. You've had seniors that were included in that group. You had kind of guys that were the heart and soul of your locker room. Guys like Ventro Miller, obviously your quarterback is a leader. So, so many key pieces that, that are the voices and the ones that are pushing players through offseason workouts that are now no longer there. So you're having to have new guys kind of step into those roles. And yeah. you're also having transfers who haven't even been part of the program that are kind of walking in and from day one, this staff is counting on them to serve in those leadership roles, and they haven't even—they don't even know the, their teammates yet. And <laughs> so it's—it's it's an interesting dynamic, Nick. But that's kind of what's taking place right now in phase two. That's um, that's an interesting thing. You know, we've we've talked about it with with some of the guys before. Uh, Billy Napier does that. You know, you've got to know uh, the guy's first name, last name, where he's from, where he went to high school, and, and you get quizzed after practice. If you don't want to do wind sprints, you better get your answers right. Um, those tests are a little harder right now <laughs> with all the new guys that have joined the team, but that's the interesting dynamic. And, and we talked about it a little bit, uh, on last show with, in regards to baseball and the transfer portal. Um, that's the interesting dynamic. Now you're getting guys who are older that should be in leadership roles or that were on their previous teams that now you need them to be that. And, and they're still wearing a hello. My name is uh sticker <laughs> on their chest. Um, that's an interesting dynamic. It's not, uh, you know, just Florida. That's that's all of college football with yep. the way the transfer portal is taking place. So Florida is going to need uh, some of those new guys to step into leadership roles. You know, you think of like a Mike and Mazuka. Hey, you're probably uh, one of the leaders in the offensive line room, and you've been here all of five weeks. Um, but this is the time going through the kind of workouts that Florida is going through right now. Um you know, uh, Mark hockey. And if we get ever get the chance to talk to him, I got to ask him about like the no water during workout rule. Cause I would pass out. Um, but you, you, this is when you, you earn that respect, the way that you carry yourself in the weight room, the way you carry yourself when you're running. Um, uh, and when you're doing these things that are designed to mentally and physically stress you out and test you, this is when you show your true colors and where you earn the respect that you need to have. If you're going to yep. be a leader on a football team. Yeah, and it, it's just to obviously you look at the, the quarterback position, for example, you've got two guys there kind of vying for that QB1 role, and both of them are transfers. Both of them are guys. Now, Jack Miller's been with the team, but you're talking about two Big Ten transfers. And, you know, Graham Mertz obviously is in a, in a weird situation because he has to, as a quarterback, 
be one of those vocal guys. And, and, you know, when he and Miller get split up in some of these competitions and he's having to lead his group of teammates, I mean, right out of the gate, he's kind of been tasked with that. So I, I think, though, for a guy that's a three-year starter and has gone through that process, you know, Nick, one thing in writing this piece and, and highlighting some of the first impressions that there are in the program of, of Graham Mertz, and we heard exactly from Billy some of this as well, just about like the preparation and knowing how to go about being a starter, preparing for a starter, carrying yourself like a starter, how you affect your teammates. I can I can count so many times last offseason, Nick, and I want to even say early into the fall, correct me if I'm wrong, where we had Billy on a number of, of occasions talk about how Anthony Richardson was still learning how to be a starter. And not just from a performance standpoint, but all those intangibles and responsibilities that I just talked about. Uh, game prep, study, um, getting together with your teammates, making sure that you're kind of leading them and, and, and affecting them during the game weekend. And those are all things that Anthony had to learn throughout the offseason, throughout spring ball, into summer workouts. Those are not things that Graham Mertz is learning right now. Now, he's having to learn how to connect with his team, but in terms of how the job, what the job is and what you have to do to be a starting quarterback, that is something that he brings to the table. And I think that's already, from, from the sources that I talked to, that's been very evident that they've seen from him these first few weeks. Oh, go Badgers. That's uh, He's going to have to learn to get that, get, push that out of his mind. Um, but it, it will be interesting to me. I, I think a lot of fans, and, and Billy, and Billy probably is, inadvertently driving this uh, narrative in the fan base that, hey, this is Graham Mercer's job. Um, I'm not ready to throw out Jack Miller. I think we haven't seen enough to say Jack Miller can't be that guy. Um, sure. And, and it, I, I think it's just it's, he's never been that guy and Graham right. has for three years. That's that's the and, difference and, I think we're seeing. Or that, that's from, from what that's I've heard, an I've early seen. advantage. But yeah, uh, once March 4th and, and listen, um, last year, there was a ton of excitement because it was Billy Napier's first spring practice. There's way more question marks about this team, way more position battles. I would argue that this is a more important spring than the first spring. Um, Billy Napier uh, wrote a story about it yesterday, uh, talked about the smoothness of going from year one to year two. And now you're not teaching players what, well, what is foundation? What is identity? It's, Hey, most of our guys have gone through this. They know yeah. what the expectations are. They know what the workload is going to be. And to me, it's the operation and the smoothness that you can operate in from one phase to the next. And then once practice starts, Hey, we're not learning what the, practice itinerary is we know what it is and, and we can get from one drill one station to the next quickly and you're getting more work in um and listen the florida Gators football team needs a lot of work um so i think that's something that we'll look at but that's something where jack miller has an advantage over graham mertz I, having been in the program this is his second spring the second yep. time he's going through these things he knows these guys he's thrown to these receivers already so i think each quarterback will have uh you know strengths and weaknesses and and, and, and leverage in, in certain opportunities. But to say that Graham Mertz came this year and he's going to be the starter, I think is, is a little premature. Sure, no doubt. And the, the, there's – look, we haven't even hit the practice field yet. Um, that's practice? where obviously – Practice? 
so much is going to be decided. And um, again, those are two of the uh, transfers from the past two years that have been added. Some of the recent ones are stepping into those leadership roles and have been asked to and have been expected to. You can read about that uh, at Gators Online and in, in this Intel piece that we put out. Now, there's also returning players as well that have kind of taken that on. And uh, we also um, included that in the Intel piece. And, and some of those guys that, you know, it's interesting for the guys that joined the team last year as transfers or as freshmen in the 2022 class. And then certainly like this new crop of players, like they feel like it is time from what I've been told for them to take ownership of this team and that, you know, there were obviously a lot of leaders that left. And I think that those guys realize that and whether they are new transfers that have been brought in or they're returning players, um, they just know that kind of the onus is on them now to step into bigger roles and to step into leadership roles. And I keep talking about it and there's a, you know, one kind of, uh, I guess, stat here that really shows you how, how much, these leadership roles have changed with this year's team compared to last year. If you guys remember the regimen phase that the Gators have, which is in the summer, uh, you know, around June, they split the roster up into teams. Uh, you know, they get really competitive and you have select teams. Now for that regimen phase, there are 18 players that are designated by Billy Napier as captains. They've earned that role and they've earned that title through what they've shown in the first part of the offseason in the foundation phase, identity phase, spring ball. 18 players. From those 18 players that were named last summer, there are only four that are still on the roster. Kingsley Aguacan, Xavier Henderson, uh, Jason Marshall, and your boy, Jeremy Croshaw. Ozzy, 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 and and he and he is no doubt a leader on this team. But you're talking about just four of the 18 guys that Billy said last year. Hey, these are the guys that are our leaders, our captains that have kind of led us through the offseason. 14 of those 18 are gone. So um, it really is on these guys to kind of step up. And you know the Kamari Wilsons of the world, the Trevor Etns. I had a whole section on him making this intel piece. Look like ETN season is upon us. He's ETN this offseason? Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, and listen, if you have a punter as one of your captains, that probably counts for at least three players. So, you let's, know, let's, seven, seven of the 18 are back, essentially. Let's, uh, let's, be, with let's be real. Let's, I mean, it's for the brand. Um, it, it will be interesting to see, and, and, and the people that you spoke with for your piece uh, seemed really high on, on Trevor ETN. I think Montreal Johnson is a guy that needs to be, um, you know, have doing the things that have people talking about you lap in that way. Yeah. Um, and it's not that he's not, you know, it's based on, you know, just who you're talking to. But I think as a guy going into your junior year, having played with this staff and in this program for now three years, um, that should be you. Yeah. You should be the guy that's leading that and, and being spoken of, of that way. And we're not saying he isn't, um, Zach didn't talk to every single person. And I will add, you know, I don't want to give away too many names, but I will add that I was told specifically from a source that there is a new wave of leaders on the offensive side of the ball. 
Trevor Etienne is one of those players, but I was also told specifically Montrell Johnson and Austin Barber are also guys that have stepped up. So, so it is both of them. But, you know, for Montrell, this is a guy who is now entering his third year, and he's been with Billy in two different programs. Uh, for Etienne to – I mean, look, this is a guy that's going through his first spring, and he's got these, these mid-year enrollees and these early enrollees and these freshmen coming to him and looking to him like he's a veteran leader. And he doesn't he doesn't know any of these workouts either. And I, like that's the that was the most fascinating thing that I learned in, in writing For this. Sure. And, you know, I, I pulled up a quote from Billy in, in mid November and it really stuck with me because I feel like this is carried into the uh, into the offseason, obviously. But he, he was talking about ETN. And he said, you know, the impressive thing about him is obviously he's smart and he's 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 got the physical ability, but he's a leader. Believe it or not. Now, this is him talking about him as a true freshman. He said, that guy's a leader. Amongst the players, he will call a guy out. He's that kind of guy. And I think based on some of the things I've heard, um, that has carried over into uh, these first two phases. And that's what you love to see, you know, because, look, Anthony Richardson is gone. And there's this weird dynamic with Jack Miller and Graham Mertz where n- neither one of them can really – you know, BQB one yet. So you need somebody in that backfield that's, uh, you know, I, I think able to kind of get the guys going. And I think that ETN and, and Montreal Johnson stepping up is huge. Before we get off this, Nick, the Gators are not just replacing the quarterback of their offense, but the quarterback of their defense and the heart and soul of their defense. And I mean, just the guy that I think everybody looked to not on, on just that side of the ball, but, but across the board as, as kind of their uh, emotional leader. And that's Ventrell Miller, who's now moved on to the NFL. And, you know, there is one of the new linebackers that have been added. And it's a pretty obvious guy. If you read between the lines uh, that, that is kind of right, right away has stepped in and tried to take on that, you know, veteran void that's now there at that middle linebacker position. Um, although, based on the news that we saw this week, Nick, I, you cannot count out, I think, Derek Wingo potentially being that guy or one of those guys as well. And, and look, let's be honest, it wasn't just Ventro Miller. It was Amari Bernie, too. It was both of them. It was that tandem, that senior tandem, that the defense got so much leadership, so much experience, so much from. I think Wingo, our first Warful Man of the Month for 2023, um, and look, this is a guy that got that honor, and he's he's hurt right now um, or, or, or coming off of injury. So to me, he's definitely a guy that could fill those shoes, and I think they're going to lean on to potentially be one of the quarterbacks of the defense. Yeah, um, and this is something that you know we we put on the message board, so uh, it eventually comes out for free, but. Um, Derek had that shoulder surgery in the picture there. You can see uh, that the little brace sticking out um, had shoulder surgery. Um, also played on a broken foot. Uh, when when Ventrell got hurt and, and or when Ventrell got um, suspended, uh, eject, ejected, suspended, yeah. uh, Derek Wingo broke his foot that Monday in practice and just said, like, listen, we got to get a shot and we got to play a half of football. Um, and then went on and obviously played in the Las Vegas bowl. Um, he'll, he'll have foot surgery. I don't know why I'm not a doctor. I don't know why you can't do both at the same time. Hey, if I'm going to be on the shelf, let's get, let's get both of these things done. Um, so I'll be interested to see if that limits him, you know, with spring ball, just less than three weeks away. Um, 
or if he'll be able to play through it. But he's a guy who is a leader. Um, and, and I think it's, it's taken he's some really time. impressive in that video, yes. Nick. Yeah. Uh, he very well, you know, he went to St. Thomas Aquinas high school, Zach. So we're all pretty that's, impressive. That's, that's what it is. We're all pretty S- impressive. STA pride in our own ways. We're impressive. Um, but he's, he's a guy who, and, and I, and, and I've gotten some pushback because I, I released my, uh, you know, projected depth charts for spring and, and I list him as the starter. And there's a lot of pushback. What do you mean he's the starter? You've got um, Mitchell and Spurlock and, and Scooby. You've got all these other guys. I'm like, this, he's this guy, Derek Wingo has put himself in a position to be that he he's a leader vocally. He's a leader uh, the way he attacks his workouts. Um, so I, I think Derek Wingo is a guy who, you'll have someone will have to take that job from him because he, yeah. he is the right to at least start the spring and, and probably fall workouts as the starting middle linebacker. You're replacing over 100 games of experience with Bernie and Ventrell Miller. Um, so that's a, that's a lot. And, and you know, like uh, our guy, JD Pakel and, and myself have said, uh, Ventrell Miller was, was the Gators defense Wi-Fi. And when you took the Wi-Fi out, Communication wasn't the same, and the defense didn't play as well, you know, in that USF game. So it, it's definitely massive shoes to fill. It is, and, and and as you mentioned, it's not just Ventro; it's Bernie as well, and all those starts and all those tackles and all that experience. And I think if they can get, obviously, Wingo healthy, and then him to be one of those guys for that linebacker position, I, I think that they could be in a good spot with some of the transfers that they've brought in. And uh, there's going to be a lot of competition there um, for, for both of those roles between the returning players and the transfers. But I just I just think for Wingo, uh, you know, it's it's taken him some time to obviously kind of settle in. He was a guy that didn't play a lot of linebacker in high school. He was more of a defensive end. So it, I think it took him some time to maybe learn the nuances of the position and certainly being able to play behind Ventro Miller and learn from that guy uh, will do him wonders. But when we saw him playing in the Las Vegas Bowl hurt uh, and getting that, that I mean, that was his full start. I think it was career high eight tackles that he made in that game, had a sack for a loss of 12 yards. So with, with one a, of the few bright spots in the bowl game, with, Nick. With, with a broken foot and, and, and a torn labrum. You're, you're playing, you know, with one half of your body, essentially, and, and, and you in a brief glimpse showed the, what you're capable of and, and your potential. Yeah, and I, I think that that's obviously um, that's obviously was was encouraging sign for the future. And again, we'll we'll monitor his health throughout the spring. Uh, if he's not a guy that can go out there and and, and you know be uh, leading, I I would definitely expect him to be one of those eighteen leaders for those regiment teams when they get to the summer. Uh, but for the time being, they also need some of these other uh, transfers and and guys that they brought in at the linebacker spot to kind of step up. And and again. There's an obvious candidate right there um, for that role. And there's been some other teams as well. And, uh, you know, final thing is we we kind of talk about football and then we'll, we'll jump to this interview with Jeff, though. Um, I did I did want to ask in doing this intel piece, you know, what was some of the, the buzz in the building and the feeling about where this team is at, where the roster's at. You know, now that they've seen these guys go through workouts, they've gotten some verified results on speed, height, and length, and all that stuff. Um, I was told that there is certainly some confidence coming from that building and from that coaching staff in terms of what they've done with the roster and the players that they've added. 
the eval process that they have that they trust and and kind of the results that they've already shown and the early returns on some of these guys um they have a very positive outlook yeah. on their personnel and uh think that the gators could have a good team this year now that time will tell but uh they obviously trust their process nick listen um i hope they're right for their sake i hope they're right because um there's not a lot of positivity uh you know coming from the outside outside of that building it's uh this is a six and six team again uh this is a five and seven team uh what do you mean graham mertz and graham and, and, hurts my and, feelings and that's what i took when i the feedback that i got back and asking within the program what the feel was part of that response and the very positive like literally was quoted as very positive outlook I think that they think they're better than that. They think that they have a chance to be better than what those expectations are. Yeah. Now, how, how much better? How many wins better? Um, again, that's still to be determined. But look, they lost so much from last year's team. You're talking about mm -hmm. 85 scholarship players. You lost 35. You lost 13 of 22 starters. But if you're looking for a silver lining, those guys went six and seven. And many <laughs> of those guys were on a team prior to that that went six and seven. So if you feel like as a coaching staff that you've added some talent that is that you recruited, that you evaluated, that you deemed a fit for your scheme, um, you got to feel like you're going to upgrade in some spots. And that's how they feel. Um, but you got to prove it on the grass, Nicholas. Got to prove it between those white lines, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. This spring, for me, I'm more excited um, just to see some of these position battles, and, and I wrote about uh, five that I'm really looking towards. Um, there's even more than that. Um, we'll see uh, March 4th when the team gets out there. Uh, that's a big weekend. Miami will be here in town, uh, our, our, our guest's least favorite team, um, <laughs> and, and spring football gets kicked off, so – uh, big weekend, that first weekend in March. Um, we're going to find out a lot about the Gators. And, and you and I will have, I'm sure, some strong opinions on, hey, uh, don't think those hey. people that we talked to inside the building were right. This team stinks. Or, hey, maybe my, my opinion on the team uh, was premature. And maybe my opinion on the team will change based on uh, seeing how they play and, and, uh, and what they look like this March. Now, before we jump to this break, Nick, uh, you had an opportunity to to interview Billy Napier this week. Uh, obviously, we talked to him a few weeks ago for, for National Signing Day. Um, but obviously, this is a different interview setting. You got to ask him some questions along with Dan and Silk. What was just your takeaway from that interview and, and, and just some of the things that he said uh, as they kind of go through year two and, and get closer to spring? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, takeaways are – his his quiet confidence kind of what you would written in your intel piece his quiet confidence about this team um there's not going to be a lot of buzz about the florida gators they're not going to be predicted to win the sec east um but he likes his team and and i think he the biggest takeaway was one of my questions that i asked um just the smooth the the smoothness of operation from year one to year two and, and i'll tell a little story um in Little League, um, you were kind of assigned teams. My dad was my coach, and uh, we were the Weston Marlins. Uh, All right. And, and, and the team that we 
uh, were given only had three players still on the roster because you can draft 11-year-olds and then the 11-year-olds stay on the same team when they're 12. And my dad drafted all 11-year-olds and we were young that first year. Uh, we were good, but we certainly didn't win the league. Um, and, and then we got shirts that said next year starts now. And now we're an entire team of 12-year-olds who have played together. And we ended up going undefeated and winning a championship. Um, but the and what Billy Napier said about his team is basically we went through growing pains. We took our lumps at, in that first year, and we were better for it in year two. Florida certainly took a couple haymakers on the chin last year when you think about finishing the year under 500, losing uh, to your rivals, to every single rival. Um, you took your lumps. You, you took you took it on the chin last year. He thinks going through that experience and, and feeling what it's like to walk into a locker room or to walk off of a field after losing to Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, FSU, that serves as motivation for what they're mm. doing now, that that serves for some fuel next year. The next time you see, uh, you know, when that, that burnt orange, not burnt orange, when that cream school orange comes down to Gainesville, you have that memory of what it felt like in Knoxville last year. Yeah. Um, if I'm Billy, I'm playing those games on the TVs, in the locker room, in the indoor practice facility. Hey, you're going to remember what happened last year and, and what that feeling was. So, he thinks that just the way from year one to year two, the familiarity and how you're able to operate and run things smoother, um, coupled with the memory of what everything felt like last year, because it wasn't fun. Uh, it certainly wasn't fun for the fan base, less fun for the guys in the building who are putting in the work to try not to have those results. So I think that was my biggest takeaway uh, was his confidence that the adversity and the struggles that we had last year will serve us in the off season and then serve us next year um, in, in a positive way. I thought another interesting answer that, that he gave was when he was asked about what he felt like he could do better as a head coach in year two compared to year one. And um, he actually gave an answer and uh, you know, first said that, you know, as a staff, they evaluate at the end of the year around the signing day time, they all have to fill out basically an evaluation of themselves and, where they feel like they did good, where they feel like they um, could be better in some areas, and that includes him. And one thing that he thought that will allow him to do his job better is how he's able to manage his time in 2023. And what he meant by that was coming in as a first-year coach, you know, he's coming in a million miles an hour. The, the, the quote that he said several times, you, you basically are giving a year of your life away in that you're getting pulled in so many different directions. You have to get your systems in place. There's so many, so much that you have to figure out and connections that have to get made, uh, things that need to get established within your program, trust that has to get built with your players, staff that has to get hired, all these things that he had to do within the first three, four months of the job, and then throughout the spring and then throughout the summer, so many of those responsibilities now are not there. Um, and, and he's not going to be stretched as thin as he was in year one. And, and he feels like being able to put more time into certain areas of his program will year, yield a better product. And um, I thought that that was an interesting area. And, and, and I don't think that he's wrong. I think that thinking about what he had to go through in year one, coupled with, you know, NIL and transfer portal and all that, like it's it was a lot. And I don't think he'll have as much on his plate. He's certainly not going to have – 
an army to hire like he did last year. Yeah, and, and listen, counterpoint, um, Brian Kelly had to go through that same thing. Sure. Uh, Lincoln Riley had to go through that same thing. To Son- Sonny Dykes had to go through that same thing, and he ended up in the uh, in the college football playoff. Um, but you know, it's apples and oranges. Um, I I I would like I will like to see or am looking forward to seeing uh, some of those words. Are they just fluff, and is he just saying it, or can I see that? you know, uh, on the field this spring. Yeah. We're going to see it soon, Nick. We'll be out there in, uh, two Less weeks almost. Weeks. Oh, geez. Baseball season tomorrow. Uh, spring football, busy time. Bachelor party coming up. Mm, cruise coming up for me. Hello. <laughs> uh, well, we are going to jump to this break and we are going to switch gears and, uh, talk some Florida baseball with former Gators pitcher, Jeff Cardoza, who now sits up in the booth. Uh, calling his former team. We'll be right back after this break. What's up, Florida fans? Wanted to encourage all of you to go check out rogueshop.com if you have issues sleeping, chronic pain, and or anxiety and stress. Rogue Shop sells CBD, THC, edibles, smokables, and vapes, as well as handcrafted bath salts, soaps, candles, massage oils, pain creams, and topicals. Rogue Shop is a true small business Disabled, veteran-owned, black-owned, woman-owned company. They have five employees and make all of their products with their own cannabis grown in their manufacturing facility. Visit rogueshop.com. That's R-O-G-U-E-S-H-O-P.com. Welcome back into the Gators Online Show. We are now joined by our guest of the week, former Florida pitcher and current Gators broadcaster Jeff Cardozo, among many other t- titles. Jeff, welcome to the show, my friend. Guys, always a pleasure. It's uh, like you, you call me like one time a year, and I guess it's baseball season. So, well, it's good you to know, be uh, you are the you are the first repeat guest on the Gators Online podcast. So we may only call you once a year, uh, but you are the only one to get a, to get an uh, invitation back. How about that? I appreciate that. That's uh, it's awesome. You guys are great. Well, obviously, this is a great time of year, Jeff, because it is baseball season and a pretty good squad that Kevin O'Sullivan has put together and obviously a little bit different with uh, the transfer portal and obviously that being kind of a way to, to add players to the team. What has been your takeaway just before we get into this season and, and obviously the series this weekend of, of how this kind of roster has been put together? And, you know, Nick has talked about it before, but I'd love to get your take on just the philosophy here and how Kevin O'Sullivan maybe has had to maybe change some of that. Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, the, what really stands out is there's depth this year. And I think there's just, there's options where I don't necessarily know if that was the case last year. You had to, a really young, and, you know, I think Sully talked about it quite a bit that he always tried to use the philosophy of, hey, I've always been able to get some really good freshmen. I'm going to build a program that way. And then you saw all these other teams utilize the transfer portal, go out and get these veteran guys. And I think it just made it more difficult. So the opportunity to do that as some guys, it's certainly going to make a difference. And I know he's really excited about it. And I think I'm excited too. I think it's just, it's going to be fun to finally see a team that I think Nick, and you'll know this, it's just, it's built the way 
all those teams that went to Omaha are built. They've got really good pitching. They've got depth on the back end. They've got guys that come in and contribute off the bench and do a lot of different things. So I'm excited about the first month of the season because it's going to be a free-for-all. I think there's going to be five or six guys competing for one or two spots, and then finally when the SEC rolls around, it'll be go time. Yeah, Jeff knows uh, that first month of the season is almost like uh, American Idol. Uh, you're auditioning for a chance to get innings and and reps and and, and starting roles when SEC play comes around. And uh, if you're a bullpen pitcher, it's, hey, can I trust you by the time you get to SEC play? Because once it gets to SEC play, almost like a basketball team tightening the rotation, it's like, well, listen, you had a 7 ERA in the first month of the year. <laughs> against JU and FAU. So, no, I'm not going to pitch you in the seventh inning against Vanderbilt on a Saturday You're night. That's not, that's not going to happen. You're out of here. Um, I want to go back to the, the transfer report a little bit. So, Sully was definitely hesitant. I think there was a, a seminal moment in Jacksonville when you looked at the at Georgia's roster um, in a fall game, and it was like graduate, graduate, fifth-year senior, senior, junior. And you look at Sully's team, it's like our average age can't buy alcohol. And all these guys have college mm -hmm. diplomas. Um, it will be a, I think, year to year thing. You know, like last year, you go out and you kind of cherry pick Hurston Waldrip um, and, and you get a Dale Thomas. Um, if you look at Florida's roster now, they're much older. You might have to hit the transfer portal more next year than you did this past season um, just because of uh, how many guys you'll be losing from this team. But it definitely was a philosophical change from Kevin O'Sullivan. Um, and he probably, you know, as good as he's done recruiting high school, he probably thought they should have never given me the keys to this transfer portal thing. They're about to see something. I can still recruit whether the guys are uh, 20 years old or 16 years old. Yeah, and, and the Waldrop story is really cool. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have said don't know. He he basically got a phone call and it said, you know, hey, I'm going to – I'm going to be in the transfer portal. And Sully, of course, gets really excited. And Sully was actually out recruiting high school kids. All of a sudden, all these other people get wind of this being in the transfer portal. And, you know, Sully, uh, Sully kind of casually said that uh, his parents had asked him to be with him during the game. So all these other coaches are there, and Sully's sitting with the parents watching the game. Sully knew that he was in, but that was a really good get there. And when you get a phone call from Florida and you have, like, a, kind of a renewed – I guess just happiness, aggressiveness, that, that that mindset that Sully had when he started here 16 years ago, it's it's hard to turn him down. I think there's going to be a lot of kids that want to come here. I mean, I still still think the question is, you know, what LSU did and, you know, because they're such a baseball school, they went out and bought five or six guys. NIL is going to be a part of this. Zach, you know all about that with football. So I'm anxious to see how much that's going to be a big deal with baseball. Um but if it's just flat-out recruiting and, and getting guys come here to, to be a part of something, I, I think a lot of them would want to be a, a Florida Gator. Now, obviously, Jeff, you, you've got to see a lot of this team in camp and even you know back throughout the fall. Uh, just what is your overall take on what you've seen so far in these practices, and, and what are you kind of most intrigued to learn about this group this first opening weekend? Well, I you know I think I think the one in you know. It, and, and maybe it's it's not known or, or not, but Nick, you watch him all the time. I, I, to me, like Josh Rivera for a couple of years was just the bad body language guy. And I didn't, just didn't like the way he kind of walked around. I didn't like his presence. And obviously he played really well defensively and he was spotty here and then hitting. And to me, I think he was the biggest surprise. It was a guy that 
okay, I, I probably could have gone to the draft. I, I could be playing in the minors right now, but he made a decision to come back. And I think there's a purpose to it. So if Josh Rivera is good, and I mean, he might be in the cleanup spot on, on opening night on Friday. I think he might be in the four or five hole. If he's good, just to see if Derek Fagan, who was obviously really good in high school, he's you know, Gatorade player of the year doing all these things. I think he just got tired last year uh, and Nick you wrote the, the great story on him getting hit in the face and all the things that he had to do to, to work back to try to get in it um, I think to, to me it's him and then gosh Colby Halter he presses too much so maybe it's the same mindset as Rivera gosh I could have gone in the draft I could have been doing this but just come back and play baseball you're freaking really good at that sport so stop messing around go out and do what you're supposed to do and and it could be fun now you lose Thompson and you lose Judd so a lot of pop there but I think there's some other guys that can step up and do some really good things in that office. Yeah, I mean, you look at Jack Caglione, Caglione uh, Jack Tani, as I'm calling him. Uh, feel free to use that on your broadcast, uh, Jeff. Uh, I like but it. He's a, he's a guy who had you know, eight home runs and just 100 at-bats. I think he can kind of step in in that role. BT Ryapel had 15 um, home runs last year. And, and I think Ty Evans, I, I, I agree with you. I think Josh Rivera will start the season in that number four hole but I think Ty Evans is a guy – now, he gets a little pull-happy every once in a while. You know, when you hit a ball out in the mm -hmm. whole road, you think, hey, that was fun. Let me do that again and start trying to pull everything. When he keeps that uh, up-the-middle, opposite-field approach, he's got a ton of pop, pop in his bat. So while you lose a ton of uh, RBI production and home run production in, in Sterling uh, and Judd, I think there are guys that – like Florida's not going to be a team that's, you know, station to station uh, bunting the ball around. They, they can still hit it out of the yard. Um, and, and one of the biggest things for me will be how do those guys, I guess, uh, step into those new roles. You mentioned Colby and Josh at times last year, I thought, did they just forget how to play baseball? Like they are so good. These are major yeah. league baseball players, potentially guys that should be drafted. And, and then you look at Colby Halter at one point, I think was leading the sec and hitting. And then the next thing I know, he's not hitting his weight. Um, he didn't forget how to hit a baseball. I think you probably make a good point about him pressing. Um, Florida this year, I think, has a really interesting and good mix of veteran players. You know, the left side of the infield, these guys have been here now for four years. Uh, Wyatt Langford is, has been tearing the cover off the ball, but also a mix of, of really talented young freshmen and, and some some younger retro freshmen, sophomores um, that can help uh, uh, pitching, pitching wise. Um, wanted to bring you to my guy, Jack Tani. Um, he's someone who's going to be hitting. Three, four, or five. You, you put him right there in the middle of the lineup. Um, we didn't get to see it last year, uh, but I watched him throw 100 miles an hour in Jacksonville. He's a two-way player. Um, what do you think his role will be, and, and how have you seen Kevin O'Sullivan kind of utilize two-way guys? Yeah, I think obviously you want his bat in there, um, but then – like you're saying, I mean, you got a guy throwing 99 or 100 from the left side. Like, how do you not have him on the mound and get him a lot of work on the mound? And I think what they were trying to do, because imagine if that's coming out of the bullpen and we saw some of the struggles late last year with getting some guys out on the back end. You know, what if what if this can be our closer? What if he just rears back and throws 100 by three different guys and then it's ball game over? Then that would be great. But I think what Sully saw was maybe – he wasn't as consistent with, with some of that stuff. And, and you know, Sully, if you're not throwing strikes, he's going to walk out there. He's going to kick you in the nuts and you're going to be off the field and it's going to be a, a really long day. So he wants guys to strikes, get after it. And I just, I think what they've realized is Jack is probably more suited to, 
go start, let him settle in and try to do some different things. So wouldn't be surprised if you saw him as a Sunday starter, especially with Pierce out for the uh, going. So that's what should happen uh, opening weekend. And, and really just let him work through it because if he's good, then, I mean, that's totally the best rotation in the country when you're talking about Aldrip and, and Jack. And then if Pierce can come back and do some different things, Jack gets that experience. So you've got a great thing there. I mean, I think a perfect ideal situation the Gators have won one national championship, and a part of that reason was because obviously they had a really good pitching staff, but they could bring Michael Byrne in in any situation. To me, he's a guy that gets a shot as a closer, and it's not just a one-inning thing. It's, gosh, if I need a big out in the seventh inning, Neely comes in, gets me that out, and then he can go through the rest of the lineup, face righties, face lefties, do a lot of different things. So it's a really similar I think roster is, is what that 2017 team was, at least from a pitching staff standpoint. And I think Sully can utilize it in a lot of different ways. So it'll be fun. But, yeah, getting your point back to, to Jack, I mean, there there's no question that he could be the best two-way player in the entire country. And by starting him, then you get the luxury of DHing him a couple of times. You're not worried about, oh, if he's in the lineup all the time. And I want him to close. Is he throwing too much? Is he getting tired? So just have his Sunday. Have him go throw and have him go hit 450-foot home runs that we all ooh and all about. Uh, that, that sounds like Jeff Cardoza was throwing to him. Very true. I did <laughs> hit cleanup in high school. <laughs> Pitchers always think they can hit. Pitchers want to be hitters. They do. Best, best I, I, athletes on the planet. So oh, stop. Should be able That's to. a catcher. That's a catcher. <laughs> Salt of the earth, people. Well, you're going to see uh, the pitchers, catchers, and all of them uh, at, at uh, com- competing this weekend at Condren Family Ballpark. The Gators uh, open their season Friday at 7 p.m. against uh, Charleston Southern for a three-game series. Uh, then they hit the road to uh, play South Florida, and they'll host the Bulls on Wednesday of next week. Jeff, uh, what do you think of kind of the, the schedule for the Gators in 2023? Certainly, uh, you know, the conference and some of the competition that they'll face there. And when do you feel like we'll have a good feel for, for what this team is made of? Obviously, that, that three-game series uh, against Miami in early March, bigger to loom large. A big test, boys. It's nice you get a lot of games uh, early on because that Miami series is at home. So you get straight weekends at home, just a couple of midweek matchups on the road. But um, I think that'll allow some of these guys to, to settle in and, and get used to some things. And like we talked about earlier on for Sully and the rest of that coaching staff to kind of establish a, a lineup, a rotation and be ready to go. Because when the SEC starts, it's, it's stupid. You, you look at the, the top 10, I think it's like seven teams in there and you look at the top 25, there's 10 teams in there. So 30 games where to me, it feels like every weekend is a super regional. Like that's how competitive, how much intensity you see both games and it's really a winning series so if you can go take two out of three then you're doing some really really good things and you know obviously we saw what Tennessee did last year Arkansas a couple of years ago to me the formula was always was going two out of three every weekend and then you're 20 and 10 you should probably be in contention conference and you know I think more so with as deep as a lot of these teams are I mean even the lesser teams like South Carolina, they bring in some guys from the transfer portal. So they've got a great pitching staff. You know, Missouri's got a guy on the front end that's that's good. Kentucky's even got some guys. So there's just there's never an easy weekend and there's never really an easy day. I mean, it used to be 20 years ago. Okay, you're facing Kentucky. You're facing 
Andy, we're going to sweep and everything be fine. I think you can say that. The, the SEC is just so good. It's by far above the best conference in the country. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's frustrating for me, broadcaster. So you know that the Sully and those guys, their hair out, you the guy and understand it, figure it out. But they do have great leadership. And Nick and T. I think getting him back and certainly getting Sproat back, it's almost like you you got two great recruits back and, and you didn't have to go to the transfer portal. You didn't have to go to high school. You got guys with all these experience and you've got two that they want to do something. And um, I talked to BT the other day and I mean, he's ready to lead this staff and kind of lead this team and goof off, have a good time, but, but make sure they're ready to go. Yeah. I wrote about BT um, BT after Florida lost to Oklahoma BT told Kevin O'Sullivan before Sully even had gotten to his press conference, like next year starts tomorrow. And I'm like, you idiot. You, you are a left-handed hitting catcher <laughs> who just hit nearly 300, hit 15 yep. bombs playing against the toughest competition in your life. I'm like, go get drafted. Um, but he wants, he's, he wants to uh, play this last year, cement himself as a great college player um, and then move on with his life. So um, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting guy. I, 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 I call him a, a little miniature version of Kevin O'Sullivan. I think that's probably why Sully likes him there. Uh, it's, it's like a little clone of Sully. Um, but I think BT is a great leader and that was interesting. And that probably, if we go back to the transfer portal, that probably was, you know, the proof that Kevin O'Sullivan needed to, Hey, I can, I can do this transfer portal thing. If we can get guys like this, uh, cause he had such a good, a positive effect on, on that clubhouse. Um, just the last one for me, Jeff, is going to be how do you how do you have an encore if you're Wyatt Langford? Um, and I mean, I think he's hitting yeah. like 490 right right now in spring. But how do you have that kind of encore from a guy who had four pinch hit appearances as a freshman? Um, I keep ribbing Kevin O'Sullivan about that. Um, to a guy that is it now, you know, coming off of a, a record tying season, a Golden Spikes um, preseason watch list guy. What do you do for an encore if you're Wyatt Langford? 30 home runs? 35? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's he's got the ability to do it. And I just I, I remember just being fascinated by that first SEC weekend and we're in Alabama and he, he had done a few things here and there, but I mean he just went off and then and never stopped. But it's it's fascinating, like all you know, all these people that I've talked to, and it took what 18 minutes up his name. That's what's so weird about all. Like you're talking about Maybe the number one pick in the draft this year as a Tyree has, which would obviously be something that's never happened. As a guy that just tied Matt Laporte in home runs, like all these things, and nobody's talking about him because I think it's just expected for him to, to do them. But I think you can expect it because that's the type of player he is. He's not cocky. You never hear anything from him. He literally just puts his head down and grinds. And more than anything, from the home runs to his ability now to be able to run down balls in the outfield and be a good player. The the thing about Wyatt Langford is it's a ground ball to shortstop. As good as he is, he hustles every single play. And there's not a lot of guys in the country that do that. So I think if you're looking around, obviously if you're a major league scout, you're one of these teams, and that's the first thing you say is that guy just just balls to the wall every single time that he steps into the batter's box. And I don't, I mean, maybe because I see it all the time and other people don't, but you think with video and everything, there is no way in holy hell I throw that guy a first pitch fastball. And and he jumps on him all the time and he, and he hits him out, but people still do it. So I'm, I'm anxious to see now, because of the year he had, 
are they going to make up? Are they going to start him off backwards and do some different things because he's such an aggressive hitter early in the count? But, you know, you talked about Ty Evans earlier. That's what he does. He goes to right field. He's not trying to hit home runs. He's just swinging as hard he, as he can in the box with a good approach. And obviously he's so strong, he's able to leave the yard. So it, it's fun. And um, it, it's still in my mind that, you know, he's just not the, the love and he just expects it. And hopefully he can have that type of year and he gets the praise that he deserves. Don't know if this will surprise you. I was not uh, hustling balls out when I grounded a, you know, grounded a ball to second base. Uh, you could have timed me with the sundial to first. <laughs> yeah, but that's that still probably beat Zach though. No, I definitely beat Zach, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, look, <laughs> uh, I, I I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Um, we'll also have a special guest in Condren Ballpark on Friday as uh, Darren O'Day is going to throw out the ceremonial. First pitch, so he'll be back in town. Jeff, have they had you throw out the first pitch yet? I threw it out at McKeithen maybe like 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. I, I won something, so they they let me throw it out. Of course, threw a strike, so it was good. But yeah, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm I'm excited to see Darren. Um, you know, I, I texted him right after he ended up in his retirement. All my uh, a couple months prior, um, and I said, "Dang it, Darren." As much as I go to Atlanta for for my kids' games, like he would always get me tickets, and I'm sitting right behind. Him. Now I don't have a hookup games anymore. Playing <laughs> so I can more brave. Um, no, he. I mean, just his. I mean, this is a guy that basically came onto campus right after I was done. Like that's how long ago it was, and he's just now retiring from from Major League Baseball. So just an incredible career. Um, really. I'm in him for sure. And then obviously I, I think the fact, Jeff, that they had you out there, they probably don't want to bring you back to a Conjured Family Ballpark. They don't want to make any of the current pitchers jealous or, you know, get intimidated before they go out there and have to compete. It, it does a lot. So um, I'm, I'm not surprised that uh, it's that, that intimidation factor of a bearded, skinny fat guy now that uh, is, uh, is dorky looking. But, hey, gets them every time. Before we yeah. get you out here, does Darren go uh, up top or or does he sink it down low for his opening? <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be that. I'm sure he'll sink it, get some movement. But he didn't want to make BT look bad, so hopefully BT can catch it. Because I, I did like two years ago, was actually playing catch with him, and it's it's impossible to catch. You, you understand why even big league hitters just can't hit him. And um, – it's 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 really really cool. It, it just moves all over the place. It's nuts. I'll tell That's BT awesome. to put his gear on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, listen, Jeff. It, it was great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate the time. I know this is a fun time of year for you, and uh, we're looking forward to getting out there at the ballpark. Uh, listen to uh, some calls of uh, some home runs and some strikeouts, and obviously enjoying this uh, Florida baseball team, man. So we'll see you out there. Give us give us one one call yeah, be when the guy fun. is rounding third base, Jeff. Give us one as a sign out. Yeah, round and third, heading for home. He's a brown-eyed, handsome man. So um, that's that. That's the way to do it. And Zach, don't uh, – I think every time that Zach went to a game last year, at least he showed up yeah. in the booth. The Gators lost. So we can uh, reverse fortunes this year if he shows up. Yeah, well, it's tough because I've got a bachelor party in March. So is that, is that, uh, Zach's going to be going to be there for at least one full weekend. Uh, hopefully Gators Ooh. don't get swept that one. Uh, no. 
We'll have to we'll, we'll have to test we'll have to test Lunch it out time. and see if the the fortunes have changed. So, um, well, hey right. Jeff, we appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll catch you out there, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, jump back after uh, this break and come back and wrap up the Gators Online show. Appreciate Jeff for joining us in the last segment to talk Florida baseball and get you guys ready for this upcoming season opening weekend. And I tell you what, Nick, it's it's nice for me to be able to go out there and enjoy that team as a spectator. But between this football season I just covered and the way things are going in basketball right now, I need to get out there and whatever Florida team this year is in contention for an SEC championship or a national championship, I'm just going to go cover them because I want to cover a championship team and remember what it feels like because mm. it's been a while. It's been a while for, for, for our big three. Now, not, for all mm. the other sports at UF, this is this is an annual thing. Listen, um, UF is a big, to, big Olympic sports school. Man, I, I, I I'm all about it. I, I need to go out there and cover golfball houses, teams, or golf, or I mean softball. Yeah, they'll they'll get it done. Baseball will get it done. Softball's five, softball's five and zero, oh and have outscored their opponents sixty five to four in those games. That's what we would call a hot start. Hot start. Coming in hot. Yes, and, uh, We'll see if this baseball team is coming in hot this weekend, Nick. And uh, I'll be out there. I will not be in the press box. Don't worry, Florida fans. <laughs> um, but uh, And obviously, the Gators will be back in action as uh, they head to the road in hoops to uh, play Arkansas. And they will be... Without Colin Castleton, he suffered a uh, broken right hand Wednesday against Ole Miss and uh, just an unfortunate injury we talked about at the top of the show. But uh, now the Gators already trying to fight for a spot in the NCAA tournament. Uh, things just got real harder. But but more than anything, you know, regardless of their tournament chances, like the, so much of their team offensively and defensively runs through Colin. So uh, there is going to be a lot that changes now down this final stretch and, and how they kind of uh, put their team together and who steps up in, in, in his absence. And, and obviously, uh, you can you, you speak on this more than me. Obviously, I guess the first man up is Jason Jatoba. Um, yeah. You, you don't have a lot of big men. Uh, what, what, is, what is the course of action? Can Jason play? That the, the I don't think Jason Jatobo can play the kind of minutes that Colin Castleton was giving you. So you yeah, need he, more than one person. He's he I mean he's gonna have to start. There's no doubt about that. He he had 17 minutes against Old Miss that matched his season high, and obviously he was called on more because Colin went out in the second period. So he would have probably played even more minutes had Colin left the game earlier. He's probably gonna eclipse 20, I would think, easily against Arkansas. Uh can they get 30 minutes out of him? I don't I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but remember, they've already dealt with some issues in terms of their bigs or their bigger players being injured. And that's the what they went through with Alex Fudge and his head injury. And then also C.J. Felder and his absence, leave of absence from the team. So twice now this season, the Gators have had to – basically figure out and go small with their lineup uh, after they, they lost one of their bigs. And um, 
I think obviously the return of CJ Felder is huge now, given Collins' uh, injury. You got uh, Alex Fudge back as well. And, you know, with Fudge out, the Gators went with a small lineup with Riley Kugel uh, getting the start. He's been playing really well as of late. I think he's averaged 15 points in his last three games. So, how does that, you know, I, I would imagine he's going to re- keep his starting role, but now what does that uh, front court look like? And, um, you know, obviously you probably are going to go with Jason to start, but when he's needs a breather, what does that kind of look like for the Gators? Is uh, Who's playing the five? Is it is it Fudge? Is it Felder? Um, is it, You know, obviously Richard is probably going to get a lot of looks at the four, um, who's just – been traditionally playing the wing for them so um this is this is tough but one thing that's for sure nick i think down the stretch here as as this season has played out and and florida's you know tourney chances have been what they've been i think you've already had some fans at least on our message board that have already started to look ahead and and think about what next year is going to look like and i think the times that I've seen this comment mentioned is when it's been a game where Colin Castleton goes off for 2010 or scores nearly 30 points. And you see the comment, you know, often this season, man, what are they going to get? What, what are the Gators going to be when that guy leaves? Gonna what is this team going to look like? <laughs> About to find out right now, Nick. Yep. Um, it, it, it's tough. Um, it, you know, and, and I mentioned last week uh, looking at the schedule, I didn't see many great resume builders left on the schedule, but some potential potholes. Um, Todd Golden and the Gators must have been listening because they do- they drove immediately into a Vanderbilt pothole um, <laughs> at home. And uh, now, you know, that that fact doesn't change at all. Um, you know, you still have those same question marks, those same issues uh, w- with the roster now you're facing it with a man down and, and how effective can you change your offense that really ran through Castleton to, yeah. okay, well now we need to run it through our guards and we need to have this small lineup and we've got some experience doing it, but if we're going to try to make the NCAA tournament, which probably means if not winning the sec tournament outright, Get into They're that, have get, to win a couple. Get into that final weekend, probably. Yeah. You know, getting to get into Sunday, get into the final four of it, um, to make the NCAA tournament. Like, you, you got to figure some stuff out really quickly, and you probably still need to win out in, in the regular season. Yeah, and it's it's just disappointing that we don't get to see a rematch between Colin and Oscar, and you know Kentucky coming into the O Dome and the Gators trying to get that win at home with Colin kind of leading the charge. Um, it just sucks. You know, you feel for the guy and it, it was funny. Uh, it was not funny, but uh, ironic how we, you know, if you remember last week, Nick, me mentioning how a lot like Ventro Miller, Colin Castleton's really good season has just been overshadowed by the, the team's results. And um, unfortunately, Ventro Miller's season ended early with injury and now we're seeing that happened uh with Colin Castleton but look judging by this tweet that they sent out you know much love and always a gator it, it's, it looks like his season will likely be done and uh the, the gators are gonna have to find a way how to move on but I will give them credit man 
He left. He only played five minutes in the second half, and they had five guys that scored in double figures and uh, really stepped up to the plate. Kowasi Reeves coming off the bench. He's really been playing well lately, and he finished with uh, 13 points along with Will Richard. Myron Jones stepped up big time, season-high 15 points, season-high five three-pointers. He had been scoreless in the last two games, so for him to have that scoring output, especially with Colin out, uh, was huge. And then I mentioned Jason DeChobo, season-high 17 minutes. He got four points, two rebounds, two assists, and a steal. So he was active, and uh, Kyle Lofton, plus 18 and uh, season-high seven assists. He also scored in double figures with 10. So those guys are going to have to contribute like that moving forward for the Gators to uh, rack up some wins here as they close out their regular season. And, and it's not that they can't. You know, you, you see it in that small sample size that they can. Uh, but, you know, like we mentioned with Jatobo, you know, like can you do that for 30 minutes, five, six, seven, eight, nine more times this year? Um, and, and it's not that they can't, we just don't know. Yep. Well, one thing we know is uh, that once again, Nicholas, the Florida Gators have had a Super Bowl champion as a, mm. a trio of Florida players win Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, your boy for the game-winning hold, Tommy Townsend, uh, Kader, or, uh, Kadarius Tony, who – very closely uh, came close to winning MVP with his uh, heroics in the fourth quarter. And then a uh, 13-year veteran, Carlos Dunlap, after all these years in the league, more than a decade, he finally wins a ring after uh, being able to get it done with the Gators in college, Nick. Yeah, yeah, and I saw a tweet from him saying this one's going right next to my uh, right next to my my national championship one. <clears throat> um, Darius Tony would have been the first Gator to win a um, to win a Super Bowl MVP, I think, uh, if he gets that punt in. And uh, yeah, if he I, scores. I saw- he could have. He right at the end, he had a chance to yeah, cut in. I, I saw the. Uh, I saw a, a clip. He uh, again. I don't know if he was mic'd up or near enough. Someone that was mic'd up. He just goes, "Man, I was tired as." <laughs> and uh, but I think the biggest winner here, um, and I, of course I'm not biased at all, uh, but I think the biggest winner here is Tommy Townsend, uh, a Super Clearly. Bowl winning hold, and then my guy. Yes. Nobody had a better time. Then Tommy Townsend, I mean, my goodness, him in the Super Bowl parade, a whole mood, a whole mood. It had to be 20 degrees in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, My guy's wearing ski goggles uh, and hair's flowing. He's got a jacket. And then by the end of this video that I tweeted out yesterday, uh, the jacket's gone. He's shirtless. Only alcohol is keeping him warm. so still waiting on a, 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 a probably for Tommy to sober up, but we're going to get Tommy on the show. Um, I will make that happen for us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's what a time for LaMichael P Ryan, who just signed uh, to the practice squad yep. two weeks before the playoffs started getting a Super Bowl ring. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who uh, obviously a first round draft pick people are labeling him draft bust in, in New York. Look what a fresh start can do. Yep. Um, 
Kadarius Tony is going to be a monster with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, and I think you're getting little glimpses of that. And, and then the one that I probably feel the best for, I remember when, um, you know, I put out a, or when we, we put out a, who was the uh, the Gators in the Super Bowl? People were like, Carlos Dunlap is still in the NFL. I'm like, yeah, guy's still in the NFL. And, and, now he's a, and now he's a Super Bowl champion. More sacks than Miami, former Miami Hurricane, Khalees Campbell. Mm. And, and it was cool for uh, Dunlap. That was his goal coming to Kansas City as a on a one-year free agent deal. He wanted to get 100 sacks for his career. He wanted to uh, make it to the playoffs, and he wanted to win a Super Bowl. And he did all three of those things. So uh, congrats to Carlos, and uh, congrats to Kadarius as well. You know, he he doesn't score on that punt return, but he sets the Super Bowl record for the longest punt return in that game's history, 65 yards. And then he uh, – I mean, like, the human joystick nickname that he got here, we saw it on that return, Nick. Like, the fact that he – found a way to to break away and the vision and cutting the field like that. I mean, that was, that was vintage K, KT. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and real quick before I th- well, that, you know, this, this run right there, everybody, uh, everybody, he's just tired there. Yeah, um, he's tired. But there was a, an image of at the beginning of this run, there's like three or four Eagles around him. And every Florida Gator fan, right there, and every yeah. Florida Gator fan goes, I've seen that, South Carolina. Yeah. And there were six guys around him, and it was like right at that moment when it looks like nothing is going to come of it, that's when every Florida fan was like, yep, something's happening here. There's too many of the other team around him. He's going to do something that looks like he doesn't have any knee ligaments uh, or, or the <laughs> bones are made of rubber bands, and whoop, whoop, there he goes. Um now, the other yeah. thing Florida fans recognized was on his touchdown that he had, which was literally two minutes before this punt return, and put Kansas City in front 28-27. He catches a five-yard touchdown pass. And if that punt return jog memory of some Florida fans, that touchdown did as well. Because if you remember, Brian Johnson, who was on the other sideline in that game for the Eagles, uh, ran a very similar version of Kansas City's touchdown to Kadarius Tony when he was the OC for the Gators, running Kadarius in motion. It was kind of a more evil version, um, the way that they did it, because it was he was in the backfield and he was making that Tennessee guy just chase him. Um, this one was more on the outside and, and some trickeration there from Andy Reid with how he did that, and then he flipped it and Kadarius said after the game that it wasn't the same play that they threw to the running back but it, it looked like it it was the same concept and uh he gets in the end zone for a touchdown in the Super Bowl and my how uh Kadarius Tony's fortunes have changed yeah that uh that little motion there was like the hold up wait a minute turn <laughs> around get back um yeah, what what a time for these guys. Speaking of time, that bottle, that magnum bottle, the Ace of Spades that Tommy Townsend uh, just looked it up. Six thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars for that magnum bottle. Uh, hope that was supplied by the team <laughs> uh, or sponsored. Uh, very expensive champagne that Tommy quickly dispatched of uh, <laughs> on stage. Yeah, he uh, he he knows how to have a party. 
Uh, yeah. That, that's no doubt. Punters, you can always count on them, Nick. You know, look at that. I mean, just oh. living his best life. Your punter could never. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Almost. Almost fell there. And shout out to Tommy's brother, Johnny. Here's Johnny. As he will make his XFL debut as uh, their season gets ready to kick off now with the NFL season wrapping up. He's one of four Gators, I think, on the Orlando XFL team. So there's a, a few Gators that are uh, that are suiting up, that are getting ready to, rather. So uh, make sure we'll have a, a preview of all those guys on Gators Online. Nick will have your coverage from baseball opening weekend. I'll have your game story from Arkansas. We'll see how the Gators uh, rebound after the loss of Colin Castleton, you know, it sucks. They they get a win, but they lose. You know, what, they're their best price? player. Yeah, you know. Um, so so obviously we'll see where their season goes from here. And uh, we'll be back with you guys for another episode of the Gators Online Show. Appreciate Jeff for joining us this week. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Albert.